All right, it's good to be in the Lord's house. Turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We are in our Philippians series, and we had finished chapter 1. And tonight we are picking up in chapter 2, and we will be starting uh, in verse 1. But I want to read you one verse. I don't, I'm trying tonight. Hopefully I could get us down through verse 11. Some of it I'm going to try to just read and try to pass over. We may in the next service back up and grab a little bit of it. But I really want to get our thought for tonight's message from a verse down in the middle in between verse 1 through 11. And then we'll pray and we'll back up in verse 1. Look with me in verse 7. Here's the thought for tonight's message out of the book of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I just want to preach on being like-minded with Christ Jesus, being like-minded. It's one thing for us to be like-minded, and we're commanded in this chapter to be like-minded one with another. But being like-minded one with another is based upon us being like-minded with Christ. That's the mind we're supposed to be like-minded with. And as long as we all have the mind of Christ and operate in the mind that set that Jesus had, and then if we'll all do that, then we'll be like-minded. We'll be in the right mind. And the Lord's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So I want to preach on just that thought, being like-minded with Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. I pray now that you'll bless, Lord, the preaching of your word, how desperately we need it. And I thank you for the bread of life that feeds our spirit and our soul, Lord, Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm thankful, Lord, we've got youth conference coming up this Friday and Saturday. And Lord, looking forward to you speaking to my heart through the preaching and those services. And then, Lord, as we have the Low Country Fellowship and Revival meeting, different men preaching to us on Monday, and then Brother Guy Roberts Monday night and Tuesday night. Lord, as we're in the house of God, I pray that, Lord, we'd have a heart to uh, receive the word of God as it's preached to us. Lord, that we might be pleasing in your sight and our daily walk and in our spirit. Pray now that you bless the preaching tonight. I pray that you remove the tiredness from the mind of the saints of God, the tiredness from their bodies, that they would be attentive for the next few moments as we preach the word of God. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Chapter 2 and verse 1. So the mindset is us having the mind of Christ, how Christ thought what his mindset was. Look at verse 1. Paul, though it's asking a question, if, it's not as though, let's just read it, verse 1, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. His statement really is not asking if there is any and the fact that, that there might not be much or none at all. Matter of fact, this, if there be any consolation, speaks to the strongest affirmation that there's absolute consolation in Christ. That's the thought. It's the strongest affirmation that there's absolute consolation. So he said, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, stating there is consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love... If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy. So Paul's making a statement, if these things be so, then 
This should be our response. The following verses are going to be our response. Now, consolation in Christ. Thank God there is consolation in Jesus Christ. Consolation means to alleviate grief, sorrow, and disappointment, which brings us comfort when we're relieved. I'm glad that in Christ that that he can relieve our grief, that he can relieve our sorrow, that he can relieve our disappointment. And I'm, I know this, that Christ is the answer to all of that. He's the answer. This world doesn't have the answer to your grief and sorrow. But even in the midst of grief, when, when the situation calls for grief, I'm glad Jesus can step in and just relieve it, just, just relieve it and alleviate it and bring you joy and bring you gladness and rejoicing in the midst of grief. Even when the situation calls for despair and sorrow to the point, like the Lord said, that that because we know that we have hope in Christ, we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. We have sorrow, but we don't sorrow like them because we have hope in Christ. And this world doesn't have sorrow, so there's no relief for their sorrow. It's amazing to see God's people sorrowing when a loved one passes away. But at the same time, it's, it's mixed with rejoicing because we know we'll see them again. Because we know they're saved. We know they're born again. We know they're in heaven. The world may try to say, we know they're in a better place. And many times, they're in, a, they're, they're in the worst place, a place called hell. But I'm glad that there's consolation in Christ. I don't know what's going on in your life tonight. And I know you don't know it's going on in my life tonight, and you say, preacher, what's going on? None of your business, right? <laughs> but anyway, you know, I don't know what you may be dealing with. And there's times that we're on the mountain, and there's times we're in the valley. And when you find yourself in the valley, be encouraged. There's a mountain on either side. Get walking, amen? You can come out. He's the God of the mountain. He's the God of the valley. Whatever it is tonight, there, there is absolute relief in Christ. There's relief in him. So there's consolation. He consoles us. Not only is there consolation in Christ, but Paul mentioned comfort of love. Now his love reassures us and brings us cheer. It causes us to rest in peace. There's comfort in the fact knowing God loves me. Isn't there comfort in that? Knowing that God loves you, there is comfort of love. There's a comfort that only love can bring. And you know, when a spouse knows that they are loved and they can, they can rest their heart and trust in that love, it brings a comfort that gives them peace and gives them rest. We can find that comfort in the love of Christ. Amen. God loves us. When no man cares for your soul, there's a Savior that cared for your soul that can bring you comfort. You could be raised and say, you know, nobody ever told me they love me. You got a book where God said he loves you. That ought to cheer your heart. That ought to bring comfort to your heart. Uh, and many times I've heard people say at the moment of salvation, preacher, it's just hard to believe that God would love me. I know me. You know what the comfort is? That he loves us in spite of us. He knows, he knows me. He knows all the times I'm going to fail him after he saves me and he loves me anyway. Nothing ever changes that love. What comfort. And we can talk about just the comfort that we find in his love. Then he spoke of the fellowship of the Spirit. The fellowship of the Spirit. 
In other words, a friendly relationship and companionship that we have with the Spirit of God. If you're saved, the Holy Ghost fellowships with you. If you're saved, He wants to speak with you. He wants to teach you. He wants to comfort you. Where do you think those comforting words come in your darkest hour? Who do you think brought that to your mind? Who do you think resurfaced a scripture you hadn't thought about in months and it flooded your soul and it came to your mind and secured you and stopped you from being taken as the moment tried to move you? Thank God for the fellowship of the Spirit. I'd say you need to, we need to fellowship with Him more. Let me speak to us. Many times I think we view the Bible as some kind of commentary or some kind of textbook to just teach us about God. Instead of realizing it's God's word written to us from God to speak to us on a personal level. There'll never be a greater love letter than this one right here. And as long as you just view the Bible as some textbook, as some college course you got to study and do your homework, you'll find yourself not wanting to go to it. You'll find it being such a big subject if you view it as some kind of textbook for your learning. So many times that's how the Bible's just viewed, something to give me knowledge. I need to study it so I can be learned. I need to be studied so I can converse with people on the subject of the Bible instead of realizing God wrote it to you personally. And when you open it up, he wants to fellowship with you and he wants to speak with you. He wants to help you, encourage you, reprove you, correct you, guide you, all of, strengthen you, comfort you. All of, all of that, all that comes when we open the Bible. So let's be sure we open it, amen, and that we read therein. So thank God for the fellowship of the Spirit. How many times has the Holy Ghost spoke to you in your time of need? And then not only that, he talks about bowels. Look at the verse. He says, and if any bowels and any mercies. Bowels is where the seed of pity and kindness and tenderness and compassions come from. And not only have we been recipients of each other's bowels of kindness and tenderness and compassion, but how much more from the bowels of Jesus Christ himself. And then not only that, have I experienced God's kindness and God's pity and God's tenderness toward me and, and not only his compassions, but it talks about his mercies, mercies. Mercies is a kindly forbearance that is shown toward an offender or shown toward an enemy is a kindness toward somebody who's not unworthy of the act of kindness. Aren't you thankful for God's mercies towards you? Verse one, Paul said a mouthful. He's calling to our remembrance. Did not the psalmist say in Psalm 89, 1 church, he said, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever because they've been so great. He said, with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 103, verse 4 says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. So Paul is speaking to us, if there be any bowels, if there be any mercies, I would say there's far more mercy than what we deserved. It is of the Lord's mercies, is what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. It's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. 
If it were not for the Lord's mercies, we would have all been consumed already. All of us. Not one of us would have been spared by God. So let's all take a halos off, put them under the pew, and kick them way back. We're not deserving of His mercies. Thank God for His mercies that is higher than the heavens. And so it's of His mercies. And Jeremiah is reminding us of that as he's lamenting in the book of Lamentations. And as there is mercies that show up, he realizes, you know, there's a lot that has happened, but, but we're not totally annihilated because God is a merciful God. His compassions fail not. So Paul gets to verse 2, and Paul is speaking to this Philippian church he, he, uh, God used him to start this church. He founded this church. He built upon the foundation of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he went to Philippi and preached the gospel and this church got started, uh, they have a great affection toward Paul the apostle. As we read through the study through the rest of the book, we're going to see that, that they were one of the first churches that supported Paul in his missionary journeys, and they loved him, and they gave to him, and they supported him, and they showed their love through action. Not only while he was there, but even when he was gone, they met his need time and time again. And yet Paul said to them, he said, Church, if all this be the case, then fulfill ye my joy. My joy, you know what he said to them in the book of Philippians? He said in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brethren, my dearly beloved and longed for, he said, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You know what he said about this church? You give me a lot of joy. Just every time I've been around you, how you receive the preaching, how you act, the spirit that you have, he said that, that, that you're a people, you're my joy, you're my crown. When I think about you, and what God did among you, you bring me much joy. And Paul said, listen now, if all this be the case that you found in Christ, he said, fulfill ye my, the joy that I have. Keep acting in a way that keeps my joy full when I think about you. So I'm not saddened by how you're living. And here's how he said you can fulfill my joy. Number one, he said that you be like-minded. That you be like-minded. Now, if we have received all of verse 1 from God, then this should be the result. We should be like-minded. There should be, to be like-minded, there should be a great similarity among us. Have you ever talked to somebody about a subject? And as you begin to talk to them about something, what's going on, maybe even a political issue. And as y'all begin to converse back and forth, you know, that is a word. I, a lot of times I use a word as you begin to conversate. That's not an English word in the English dictionary. And uh, I'm writing my own, amen? But anyway, as you converse one among another and you have a conversation with each other, and as you do and you begin to speak, man, you begin to realize, man, I like, man, they think just like I do. And you have a like-mindedness. And sometimes it comes from the worldview that you have, hopefully the biblical worldview that you have, or maybe sometimes you listen to the talk, same talk radio host that they speak and you get along with them. And because of what you have founded yourself on, there's a like-mindedness. Now, if we're all reading this book, fellowshipping with God every day, reading this book with the Spirit of God inside of us, it should create a like-mindedness among us. And it's wonderful that when you meet people of like precious faith and 
and they go to a church and you've never met them and you just sit down maybe at a fellowship across the table and you begin to talk about the church and begin to talk about the Lord and the Bible and children and marriage and other issues, you walk away and you think, man, you would think we've both been sitting in the same church. Well, you're sitting up under the same God, under the same book being preached to you. It should give us a like-mindedness. I'm going to tell you, it's really hard to talk to somebody about a subject when you're not of a like mind. There's not a like mind there. You know, you're having, you ever talk to somebody that as you're talking, you're, you're now having to guard every word so you don't offend them? Some of y'all said, no, I've never done that. That's why you always have trouble. <laughs> it's just sometimes you need to guard your tongue. Sometimes you say, you know, it's probably not best if I say that right now. You know, I realize I, that's not going to do anything unless you give them Scripture. So, you know, here's what the Lord said. Here's what the Bible says. But a like-mindedness comes from having great similarities among us. We talk to somebody about a familiar subject. We would say, boy, they're of a kindred spirit. And so many times when we meet, it's wonderful when I've gone on the other side of the world on a mission trip. And meet brothers and sisters in Christ that feel like you've known them for a lifetime. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. You want to know why? Because this book, give, if, we, if we will think like Christ, then we will be of a like mind. If we begin to think in his mind. And so not only that, the likeness and the views are our thinking. And so he, Paul said, look, I, I want you to fulfill my joy and he says, I want you to do that by being like-minded. Then he says, also having the same love. Now, that's a mouthful. Let me say this. We, though, we, though our opinions may differ, though our opinions may differ on some points, yet we should be united by the love of God that pulls us together and draws us together. The love that we should have the same love one toward another, that fervent love. That, that Because God said that we've received the spirit of love. The Holy Ghost is in you. The Bible says that, that hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So Paul said, look, fulfill my joy. I want you to, to operate in the same love one toward another. Have you ever had somebody to exemplify love in a great way towards you and it compelled you then to want to not only love them but another brother in Christ that way the Bible says we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself and I know this me and you we love we love it we love ourselves every person in here loves themselves absolutely you love yourself that's why you was worried about how you look when you came here tonight if you didn't care about it, you wouldn't have, you said, you thought, oh, what are people going to see? What are they going to look at? You know, I better get my hair done and thank you for doing that. What a blessing. <laughs> Amen. I mean, what a blessing. <clears throat> you want to find people that don't care, just go hang out at Walmart for five seconds. You'll find people do not care what they look like. And if they do, that's not a lot of care. But feel you my joy, be like-minded, having the same love. And then look what he said, being of one accord. Being of one accord. Now, you know what being of one accord is? It's, it's as if our souls are joined together in one. It's as if 
Those are the best way I can because the opposite of accord is discord. Being one accord, actually it deals with actually, you know, music like four-part harmony, the soprano, the alto, the tenor, and the bass. That you have four-part harmony and it sounds like one person singing. It blends so well together. Everybody is on key. And you know, you know there's nothing sometimes like family harmony. Because the similarity of their voices and growing up together and singing together that you can sometimes tell a group that's not family from a group that is family. And having that one accord. And nothing's worse than when somebody's singing and they're not singing in accord with everybody else. You know what it causes? Discord. It's a horrible sound. And you know, you ever been singing beside somebody and you're singing and man, it, it, it just sounds like two people banging pots together. It's just clashing. It's not a beautiful thing. That is why we do need to hear how you sing before you get in the choir. We don't want a bunch of clashing up here. Singing's not everybody's ministry. Say amen. That's why I'm not in the choir. Man, y'all sing songs too hard for me. You know, give me something like Jesus loves me. I can, I can do that one, you know. But yet, Paul said, look, it is important. Fulfill my joy. Stay in one accord. When, when, when people are around you, they, I mean, it's as if there's a four-part harmony done well. And those that hear it, it just does something for their soul and refreshes their spirit and lifts them up. And he said, be sure that you walk in one accord. That is so very important for the church of the living God to be in one accord. And so that four-part harmony Soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. And so as we, as we are in one accord, here's what happens. The Bible speaks in Ephesians 4. We're going to go there in a second. The Bible talks about the importance of a oneness. If you find out Paul, what Paul's trying to tell them is what he is just, there's only one way the world has this kind of unity and it's over wickedness. But even among their unity and wickedness, there's discord among them. It will not take long for it to show up. The difference that the world ought to see about us is that, that we are in one accord, that we have harmony, that we have unity. Now, hold your Bible here because we're coming back. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read you verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul said, therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Here's how he said we ought to walk if we're going to walk worthy. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Only love will help you forbear one another. Endeavoring, see verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If there's going to be that harmony and unity that even the psalmist spoke of, as that ointment that flowed down Aaron's beard into his garments, down to his feet, then there's going to have to be some endeavoring. There's going to be some endeavoring. And we could study that word. That's not, I'm trying to move on tonight, but I just want you to know that if we're going to keep unity, it's going to take some effort on everybody's part. Effort on everybody's part. And so what happens is the scripture speaks of talking about them, them 
feasting among you and your feast of charity. Charity is something that I'm supposed to have and that my sister's supposed to have sitting here and other, as we walk around. If I could point to every single person in the church, God commands all of us to have fervent charity one toward another. I'm not exempt. You're not exempt. When the Bible talks about they feast among you in your feast of charity, what that means is they come in and they expect everybody else to have charity with them, but they don't exercise charity to anybody else. They're always the recipient. None of us should just always be the recipient. We should be the one given charity as we receive charity. We should be the one given grace as we receive grace. We should, we should be the ones loving as we receive love. It should, we should provoke one another unto love and unto good works. See, there's a good provoking in the Bible and there's a bad provoking in the Bible. God said our provoking ought to be to the good. Provoke each other to good. So he talks about this, this unity. Look at verse 4. There is one body. There is one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So Paul is speaking of this unity. Look back at Philippians 1, look at verse 27, and then we'll move on to the following verses. Look at Philippians 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation, that's, that's your lifestyle speaking, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul's already stated that. We covered that. We studied that in the last chapter. He's reiterating it again that our one, not our one mindedness about all that we do for the church in the church, with the church, for the church. Everything needs to be for one reason. Number one, for his glory. Number two, for the sake of the gospel. It's all about the gospel being propagated. And he said, let that be our mind and let us strive. That means let us put all of our work, all of our effort, all of our striving, all of our pressing. Let it all be for one reason. Not for personal gain, not for personal agenda. Not for look at me, Paul's, Paul's going to talk about vainglory, not for vainglory, but for one reason, for the gospel's sake. If that is our heart and our desire, it's for the gospel's sake, then our compass is faced in the right direction. Okay, now look in, look with me if you would, the following verses. Let's go to verse 3. As he, as he talks about being in one accord, being like-minded, uh, being of one mind, and he said that being of one mind. And then he goes down to verse 3, and here's what he said. Let nothing be done through strife. Literally, the word strife, one of the words of the definition means discord. If there's strife, then there's discord. Um, it'd be like me going over there trying to play the piano to you. If I went over there and I tried to, tried to play anything, it's not going to be pleasant. It's, it's going to be awful. You'd be waiting for me to get done. All there would be is because, I mean, I know I can do a C chord. I can do certain chords, but let me try to take both hands and put it together. It's a mess. It'd be nothing but discord. And it's horrible. I mean, it, it wouldn't take some of y'all about two seconds to go from being spiritual to carnal. 
And if I played for five minutes, you had to sit here. You're like, oh, no, oh, okay, I'm done. I'm never even listening to the preacher preach again after that. I'm done. The discord. And so what happens is that he said, don't let anything that we do be done with strife. Dealing with conflict. Then he said, not only that, not only, not only with strife, but don't let it be done in vainglory. You know, vainglory has to do all about oneself, one being seen, one self-promotion, one self-gratification. That vainglory is, the reason we do it, is we do it for acclimates here. Or we do it for a pat on the back here. Or we do it to be recognized here. Or we do it so that we can hear thank you. And if we don't hear thank you, now we're upset. And I'm never doing nothing for that brother again. He didn't even tell me thank you. Well, who did you do it for? If you just did it for them, there was no reward anyway. So the motive was wrong. And I understand we ought to say thank you. We ought to exemplify thanks. But the Lord said, the Lord said, hey, whatsoever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. If you give a bottle of water to the least of the brethren, you, if they don't tell you thank you, let me tell you something. The Lord, the Lord is thankful for it. And he said, you did it to me. You've given it to me. So Paul said, what's going to destroy this unity and what is going to destroy this oneness is the fact of things being done in strife or being in vain glory. You're never going to be able to hinder in this lifetime strife from happening. But it depends on how we deal with it when it does happen. You want to know why strife happens? People get their feelings hurt. You want to know why strife happens? We have emotion. You want to know why strife happens? We have difference of opinion. Sometimes we believe differently on a different subject. You want to know why strife happens? Because people are sinners and they do sinful things. Strife. Strife is going to happen. It's going to... Uh, has anybody in here never been angry? Let me... I'm, I want you to sign my Bible right now. We're stopping right this second. I'm getting your signature. Right in the middle of this. Anybody? Anybody? We've all been angry. We can have, you know, you know, sometimes we can have a righteous indignation. Wasn't it amazing how we justify some sinful things? Well, I have that kind of anger Jesus had. Yeah, probably not. Most of the time, not. And so we, we all deal with that. We all deal with anger. Anger comes up and we have to deal with it when it gets there. How are we going to deal with it when it happens? And so... You know, we, 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 all, we all, this is something that all of our flesh deals with. Not one of us are exempt from it, from your pastor down. And so Paul said, just be sure that we don't allow our things to be done through strife, through anger, through vainglory, all about oneself and one's own conceits and their own attainments, their own attainment and their own agenda. Here's what Paul said, we preach not ourselves. Preach not ourselves. And that can be a temptation for preachers to preach themselves. Paul said, we preach Christ Jesus the Lord and him crucified. And when a work is being built for God, it needs to be built for God. Not for us. Not the preacher building it for himself. Not trying to build a name for himself. Not trying to build a following for him. We're living in a world where everybody wants to be followed. You say, really, preacher? How many followers do you have? I'm talking about on Facebook. The joy 
of your identity is how many people follow me? Look how many people follow me. They like me. Come on now, tell the truth. That little number does something for you. I have, look how many followers I have. Let that resonate for a second. That ought to convict you. Please don't let your identity be caught up in social media, how many people follow you. Because you know how many people are following you that are saying stuff about you you don't like? They're not all following you for good. You're not that brain dead, are you? Well, they're following you. And a lot of them are following you just so they can see what you're doing wrong. Do you, do you not know in the church there are Facebook police? Do you not know that? So I just informed you. I mean, they believe they are top security FBI agents and they are on you. And so they're Facebook police. And they feel like, some of them feel like it's their job to straighten you out when you're wrong on Facebook. Listen to me, sir, ma'am. It ain't your job. It is not your job. I'm not on it, so I'm talking about something I'm not even on. I just know all the problems that come from it. Because as a pastor, I hear about it from time to time. You know, you've been, I've had people come to me and say, preacher, preacher, you ain't going to believe what happened. I'm like, oh, my, your, your kid died? What, what happened? Y'all getting a divorce? So-and-so unfriend me on Facebook. And I'm like, really? That's what I have to deal with. I didn't know that was under the title of pastor. Evidently, they thought it was. If you conducted yourself a little better, maybe you wouldn't have been defriended. I, I don't know how all that works. I'm just... It's amazing the saga and drama that comes from all that. Amen. And some people can't get up until they check in what's going on with so-and-so, what's going on with so-and-so, what's going on with so-and-so. I would like to think I had better ways of spending my time. Amen. So he said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Here's where the issue, the problem where we all deal with. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Well, that's what we struggle with. That's what I struggle with. And I know we all have that esteeming other. No matter who you look at in the body of Christ, the Bible says that we should have a lowliness of mind that we esteem them better than ourselves. Something convicted me. Um, you know, I, one of the things I, I have a hard time with as a pastor, when we had 30 people in the church, or 40, something like that, whenever I started pastoring, and I knew all the people, it was real easy to know all their names. And then new people come, and new people come, and new people come, and more people come, and more people come. And then I'm thinking, man, I, I've done called this one Henry when he's Joe, and I called that one Joe when he's Frank. And, you know, and, 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 and the ladies, you just say, what's your name again? Don't call them something. That, that won't be good. <laughs> And, and the hardest thing for me is many times trying to remember everybody's name. Something I've had to do. I heard a preacher say one time it convicted me. He said, if you meet somebody who you feel like is really somebody and you had a privilege to meet them, you generally never forget their name. Think about that. You esteem them to really be something and esteem them to really be somebody you're more prone to try your best to remember their name. Kind of stick with you. And he used this text of scripture and said, if we really did esteem others better than ourselves, then we would realize that when we met them, they're not just a passing, hey, how are you in the church? You know, and, and that we would recognize people when they come and maybe it would help us to remember them 
just a little bit more. And I thought, what a great analogy that is. To esteem others better than ourselves. And there's certain people we do and other people we feel like is not deserving of that, so we don't. And that is all a carnal mindset. Now, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3, he said, Are you yet carnal? For whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? James 3, 16 says, For where envy and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Well, that's, a, that's quite a verse to think on that. 1 Corinthians 14, 40 says, Let all things that you do, let all things be done decently and in order. So God has an order and there's a decency how we should conduct ourselves with each other. And Paul begins to lay this out. Then he says in verse 4, look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4, the Bible says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of, say it, others. This is not a verse that has called you to the ministry of being a busybody. Looking on things of others. In other words, the Bible says no, we're not supposed to just look on our own things. Not, not, not on our own things because this is the mind that was in Christ. He says, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. In other words, as we look at the things of that's going on in other people's lives, it should compel us to pray. It should cause us to want to pray for them, pray with them. When they're weeping, we weep with them. We're concerned about what's going on in their life. We are there to offer relief from their burden. If somehow we can help, we offer our help. It's up to them. Many times, you know what that is, looking on the things of others. Sometimes it's being nothing more than just being a listening ear. You know, sometimes people, they just, man, they got a burden. They're trying to share it. They need to know somebody else cares. Somebody else has that. Somebody else has an ear that would just listen and help bear that burden. And you know what they need? Sometimes they don't, they don't need us to fix them. They don't need us to tell them what we think. It's one of the hardest things for us to learn sometimes is just, just listen and care. And when they know we've listened and they know that we care, you know, they know we share the burden, and therefore we can pray with them. We can pray with them. Uh, here's what, now, the Bible talks about in 1 Peter 4, 15, let none of us suffer as a murderer. Wouldn't that be horrible for one of us in here to, to be a murderer? He said, not only not suffer, suffer as a murderer, nor as a thief. How about that? We, we want people that, I'm not kindly affectionate to let people hang around the church that are thieves. He said, not suffer as a murderer, not suffer as a thief. He said, nor as an evildoer. So we shouldn't suffer as any of that. And then he said, or as a busybody in other men's matters. When we look on the things of others, it's not for the fact that we should be a busybody in other men's matters. I was reading today, Albert Barnes, who is, is a man who has a commentary I found him today, and I was reading behind him, and he was talking about this, looking on the things of others, that, w that we think on other people, what's going on in their life, that when we do that, we do that with the mind and the spirit of Christ of how we can be a help. He said there's some that 
as they think on the things of others, they become busybodies. And here's, I'm going to just read you what he wrote. He said, we are not to obtrude our advice where it is not sought or asked for. Or at unreasonable times and places. Even if the advice is in itself good, we have no right to require that a person should suspend their personal business in order that I may give them my counsel about what I think about their business. I said, mm-hmm, put that one in my, in, in my file cabinet and, and ne- I need that one in my own life. See, there's been times that, that I have even been, as the pastor, I've had situations where I've had certain men that have come to me and said, Preacher, if you ever see anything whatsoever that you look at and you think it's your opinion that you think I'm wrong and I need to straighten it up, I give you right now the liberty, I'm telling you, I I give you full reign to come tell me. I've never taken that liberty. You want to know why? That generally don't turn out well. Generally, they say it, and at the moment I think they mean it, And the only times I've taken that liberty and where there's been situations for the authority of myself and the church of something happened that I had to deal with, but and then I have to go and I have to deal with it just because it has to be dealt with. But when it comes to looking at your personal life and me trying to find out where you're wrong and me going to correct you and give you my opinion about what you need to do, that's God's job. The Holy Ghost lives inside of you. He can speak louder than I ever could. You know what happened? If every time I thought that I needed to straighten you out, I did it, you wouldn't like me too much. And I'm going to tell you this. If I looked on you that much about trying to pick you apart, I'm not going to like you too much either. I believe that Brother Albert Barnes had it right when he said that. So looking on the things of others is not so I can lend. Here's what he said. Not so that you can lend your opinion of what they should do, but rather to bear their burdens. That's where Romans, look at Romans 15. Go to Romans 15. Romans 15, look at verses, that would be verse 1 through 7. Romans 15, verse 1 through 7. Paul said, we then that are strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak. Look at this statement, and not to please ourselves. You know what it means to look on the things of others? It means to give of yourself, to give of your time, to give of your money, to give of your ability, to give, you know, as you do that. And Paul said, those of us that are strong. Now, Scripture says that if a man thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. Okay? So none of us should look at ourselves that I'm a strong Christian. You know, I'm I'm stronger than anybody. But Paul's just saying those of us who you know, walking humbly with our God and, and seem to be in a good place when there's a brother not in a good place, then we need to come alongside him and not only with the strength of Christ, but just be an encouragement to them, be a strength to them, love them, and come alongside them and just help them. If we do that, we can help bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We're living in a self-pleasing society. It's all about me, 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 me. That is the world's mentality. And Paul said that we should bear the infirmities of the weak. You know what that means sometimes? That means that could be any of us in that weak place. 
You know as well as I do in your Christian life that you've been in strong places, that you've been strong, and then just life itself, the hardship, the hurt, the loss, things have, have weakened you to the place that maybe you're almost ready to faint. You're almost ready to give up. You're almost ready to quit because of what happened. And I'm going to tell you what, what God has designed it, that we, are, that, we, that we love each other and that as friends in Christ, that we can see that sometime and we don't come along to help them get weaker. We come along to help them bur- to, to, to bear their infirmities because they're too weak to carry it. And God will help us to help them. Is that not what the body does to supply the need? When the body's hurt, the other part of the body comes to help. I know what it was just months ago to have a hurt shoulder that I, I literally could not hardly reach up and get a suit or a shirt off a hanger without it hurting. Can't tell you how many times I went like this and I got it off the hanger. And then my brain said, hey, dummy, just use your left hand. It'd be a whole lot easier. <laughs> I'm used to using my right hand. And so we're just doing what habit is. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, you know, oh, man, I'm, thank you. And then the Lord said, just use that one. It'd be a whole lot easier. But that's what the body does. When it's wounded, it, it exerts its extra strength to help add strength to the place of weakness. And so Paul is encouraging this church. Obviously, they had so much of this right because they were such a joy to him. When he thought it, listen to me now, read the book of First and Second Corinthians. Paul did not think about the church at Corinth, and they were his joy and crown. He planted that church. Man, every time you turn around, he's having to correct their carnality. They had problems and problems and problems, to the point he said, hey, I'm done writing about it. The rest will I set in order when I get there. I mean, you've done said a mouthful. After all that Paul wrote, he just said, hey, I'm not writing anymore. When I get there, I'll straighten the rest of this mess out. I'm going to set it all in order. The Philippian church was a joy and a crown to him. You know what Paul's saying? Be sure you never don't lose that. Protect that. Protect it. Don't ever let it be taken away from you. And so he says, let every man look not on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And then you know what he said in verse 5? Man, we're out of time. We're going to read verse 5. I'm just getting here, and we'll, we'll have to end here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know what's so important about that? We're going to, we'll pick up that verse, and we'll head on next Wednesday night. He goes into verse 7 and 8 and telling us, tells us how Jesus didn't think it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he is God. You know what it says? He made himself of no reputation. But he took upon him the form of a servant. And if God himself can come down in the likeness of man and humble himself to the point he said, I'm among you as one that serveth. And I did not come to be ministered unto, but I came to minister. And Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And the mind was in Jesus to think on the things of others, though he was yet God himself. He humbled himself to humanity and served humanity. Let me say this. If God can do it, so can I and so can you. Every head bowed, every eye closed.